0: This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I review the Arizona Hard Ice Tea Variety Pack, take a special look behind the screens of the Nana Opal fight, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your jam and my co host, Griffin. Roll a Bill Save, you're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back yeah we're back baby how you doing man doing well in the final days of carrying
1: crown geez we have a week left i know that's crazy like a week from now and we're recording this on a saturday a mm-hmm. week from now we'll probably be in the midst of the last episode
0: yeah so this episode will release and we'll be done we'll be done with the campaign that we've been doing for five years at this point
1: yeah we're finishing it in june but it's releasing in july like we will have Just shy of five years, because I think five years would have been like
0: in August, I think we started. It's our anniversary.
1: Our anniversary is literally when Haley and I are getting married. First weekend of September or something? It's uh it's Labor Day weekend. Like we we launched it like right before Labor Day weekend or whatever.
0: Yeah, well, it's exciting. Yeah. Final combats have been hard. Yeah, they uh, have they've been really fun. We recorded one. And I got to be pretty vague about this because we're not even talking about it this episode. We recorded one this past Thursday that I really enjoyed. It was a big yeah. one. There was a shit ton of people on the board, but
1: lots of fun. It was cathartic. That was the, the nice part of that one. I think it was really good for a specific character. Yes. So I want to change the topic just a little
0: bit. Griff, we're recording this fresh off of recording two episodes of Speak with Plants this morning. Yeah. What a fucking joy.
1: Yeah, it's just so much fun to play.
0: <laughs> yeah, we are rocking and rolling. The intro to that campaign has been so much fun. I think now we've recorded through episode six. That's the last one that we did this morning. Have mm-hmm. had a couple, a co- uh, couple more combats. The team really fires on cylinders
1: together. Like, boy, yeah, weird synergy. Like, yeah. the synergy is really nice on this team and surprising because it certainly is not a conventional party composition. No, but it works. Yeah. Like, I really enjoy it. I really like how we all kind of, like, hand off buffs to each other. Mm -hmm. I think that's what works really well, is that, like, it's almost like improv. It's like, how can I help the other person? Can I yes and my buddy? Yeah, exactly. But in combat, which I think is, you know, I think we're playing a very tactical party in that. It's like the old
0: adage. I don't remember who this quote was from but it's something that has to do with basketball, where somebody said, I don't want the five best players, I want the best five players. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like I have the that best backwards. five together, exactly. not the best five
1: individually.
0: And I don't think like individually, any of our characters, oh, I mean, we, we've got some pretty good builds out there, but like the way that we synergize really highlights each other. And I yeah. really enjoy how it works. Yeah. So that's
1: been fun. It absolutely has, yeah. I'm really enjoying getting to play. Yeah, Uh, And getting to play a character from, like, level one, which I didn't really get to do with Cuthbert. So, it's a good time. For sure, man. Well, yeah, if you haven't
0: checked it out yet, folks, a couple episodes have been released for free on that Bestow Curse feed, but check out the rest of it behind the paywall if you're able to afford it and want to support, because I really have been enjoying that show. It's been so much fun. But in the meantime, Griff, what you been up to, man?
1: So, I just turned 30 this past week. Congratulations. Thank you. And... Haley and I waited, so the day before my birthday, they released Diablo 4 mm-hmm. on like 6-6, you know? And I waited all week because I've been really busy with carrying crown stuff after work and just with work in general. And I really didn't want to like get into it on one of these nights where I was going to either have to like, okay, I can play for an hour and then I can edit or I can play for an hour and then I got to build this encounter. So I just waited until Friday. I waited until Haley got home so we could play together because it's got couch co-op and we played like all night last night. It was so much fun. (laughs) Um, And I'm currently playing a sorcerer and she's playing a necromancer and the combo works really well. We're not very far into the game. We're both like level 15, 14 or 15. So pretty early in act one still. But it's just it's a beautiful version of Diablo 3, kind of. It feels a little bit more open world. And it's very fun. I really enjoy the Diablo games. I've played them since Diablo 2 when I was a kid. And so they release so infrequently, it's really fun to have a new one. So I've been playing that a lot. Beyond that, a lot of getting ready for this coming week. But yeah, I mean, like, I'm trying to think if I'm like really doing anything else. I mean, you're doing epilogue shit. You're building encounters. You're you're a busy man. Yeah, I mean, prepping for Skulls and Shackles. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot of stuff. The world keeps going and bestow curse and everything else, too. So that's true. Like, you know, I'm trying to juggle those as best I can outside of this finale so that I can devote as much time to it as I can. I've been doing a lot of wedding planning, honestly, Mm -hmm. just trying to, you know, we're at like a kind of weird number of guests for caterers and that kind of thing because they generally want like, 100 people at a wedding or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, my minimum 75. And it's like, well, we're not quite there. So we're just trying to figure that piece out. But we got... I'm going to be wearing a custom-made outfit. Haley's wearing a custom-made outfit. We got oh, a yeah. designer that's making us stuff. Uh, and you we got, you know, what you guys are all wearing picked out. So... It's going to be a medieval themed wedding for our listeners that don't know. so It's going to be, we're getting married in a castle. It's going to be pretty fun.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you're not going to want to share every photo with the world, but like we should throw a couple of the, (laughs) the, uh, the outfit photos because I'm aware what's going down. It's going to be fucking awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Steve's uh, sleeping in a room called the dungeon, the Duke's dungeon. Duke's dungeon. Yes. There is no joke, a
0: stockade at the foot of the bed. Yep. There is
1: stockade at the foot of the King bed. Don't get stuck in it.
0: <laughs> we'll see. No guarantees. Nice, man. Well, on my end, I need to right a wrong from the past Zone of Truth episode that we recorded just like a week ago, because it had been so long since we had recorded one before then. I completely neglected to bring up the fact that I saw Fast X in theaters with my brother. And my God, that franchise just continues to deliver. It gets crazier and crazier every time. Vin Diesel is effectively, and everybody else, is effectively a superhero in this franchise. And they do something that just works so well. They introduce Jason Momoa, and I don't know if the direction to him was just like, do whatever you want, but he rolls in like the most flamboyant, jokery character, just chewing up the scenery, giving it 120% every scene. He's electric to watch. So fun, so fun so guys check out fast x i mean watch the previous fast and furious movies too but boy that film really is special it's absolute insanity i can't believe they still have at least one or two more of these to go because i don't know where they go from here (laughs) but so worth your time it's popcorn mayhem i think i've seen someone refer to it as and then the other movie that i want to shout out is a movie that released in 1977 so I've got a buddy at the gym who's really, really knowledgeable about movies. And several weeks ago, I watched Deliverance. And I talked to him about it. And he's like, hey, man, if you like that movie, you should check out this other movie that came out at about the same time, kind of thematically similar. It's called Sorcerer. Griff, you ever hear Sorcerer? No. Have I told you about Sorcerer? Because I've been been telling everybody about Sorcerer. I don't know. Yeah. So Sorcerer is this movie that came out in 1977. And the first act of the movie is like these four vignettes that are... These four different characters that each get into some sort of trouble. And one of them's a, a Palestinian dude in Palestine. There's an American guy that gets into trouble with the mob. There's a French guy that like defaults on a loan or something. And then there's like an assassin dude in Mexico. And for whatever reason, they all have to flee their home countries and end up in Colombia. Mm-hmm. They're in this like remote town and they all kind of realize they all got there for different reasons that they're like, shit this kind of sucks we got to get out of here because these are bad conditions to be living in and they're working for this company that is like drilling an oil well and there's a fire at the oil well and the people that operate the oil well realize that what they have to do to put the fire out is they have to drop explosives into it to like burn up all the oxygen or something with the Mm -hmm. explosion. I don't know exactly the science, but they need explosives and they don't have explosives. They find these crates of dynamite that are 200 miles away through the jungle. And they're like, okay, these dynamite was stored improperly so the nitroglycerin is sweating out of it so any shock to the dynamite is going to cause it to explode. Mm -hmm. So we need a couple people to load this dynamite up into these trucks and drive it as carefully as possible across 200 miles of jungle to get it to the dig site for the explosion. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie essentially is these four guys trying to move six crates of dynamite in two different trucks 200 miles through the jungle. It is so tense. It's so good. It's a feast for the eyes because it's beautiful because it's in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And what I will say about this movie is it has The best rope bridge scene that I've seen in my entire life. (laughs) It's a giant rope bridge. that's super wide, but it's kind of falling apart and it's over this rushing water and it's storming out and they need to get the trucks over it. Boy, it's so, so good. I really enjoyed it. And and I know, I think you said you like Deliverance. It's, Mm. it is sort of in that vein. So it's a really good, just like tense adventure movie. Yeah. It's good. Huh? Yeah. So, a heavy recommendation for Sorcerer. I like that a lot. Nice. But yeah, besides that, you know, just started the Jujutsu Kaisen movie. Loving that. Listening to some of the new Bring Me The Horizon tracks. It's been a good time for stuff that I'm into, but... It is time for us to start reviewing some seltzers here. And on the agenda, we have the Arizona Hard Iced Tea Variety Pack, which I think Haley grabbed for us at the grocery store yesterday. I'm not sure if you were with her, Griff, but she did text me yesterday. She's like, hey, we picked these up. And I was like, I absolutely want to try that. So what we have here is the iconic, refreshing, easy to drink real iced tea of your past, now made with 5% alcohol. So 5% ABV, three grams of sugar, 103 calories. This is a variety pack, but there's only three flavors in there. hmm We got green tea, peach iced tea, and lemon iced tea. So pretty excited to try these out, man. You an Arizona fan? Yeah, I do like Arizona.
1: Yeah? Uh, Yeah, I dabble. It's like you knew inflation was bad when Arizona went up from 99 cents or whatever. Yeah, scary. Sign of the times. But uh, yeah, I've always liked Arizona. I I like Arnold Palmer's, which Arizona does well. Mm -hmm. They coined the phrase. I think that's kind of the notable exception of this pack that the Arnold Palmer is missing. I'm kind of shocked by that. Yeah. Know? I feel like that's such a
0: draw for the brand.
1: Yeah. I, I would think armor. like, hey, generally these have four flavors. Arnold Palmer is the easy fourth flavor yeah. in this pack, but I'm a little surprised by peach. I know they do sure. green tea really well. You know, that's like kind of the iconic can art for that is like, I've seen people with it on like their cars, <laughs> like yeah, get their cars wrapped yeah. with the, with the, I guess it's like the cherry blossom or whatever. Mm -hmm. Good shit, man.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Arizona's as well. But let's talk about how we're going to rate these seltzers. So I looked up Arizona's top exports in 2022 based on data from the Observatory of Economic Complexity. So these are the top five. We have natural gas. That's going to be a one out of five. We have electronic integrated circuits. That's a two out of five. For three, we have copper ore. For four, we have aircraft parts, and I was surprised to see this one on here, but uh, five out of five, most people forget, originally from Arizona, Bella Swan, the Twilight franchise. Most people forget. Yeah, most people forget. Classic phrase. Hey, Arizona, how you liking the rain, girl? Mike Newton says that. You remember. Yep. Okay. Sure. Uh Mike Newton, notable character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone knows Mike. All right, so the first one's Green Tea. You want to kick us off, man?
1: Yeah, why not? Green tea made from 100% real brewed green tea with ginseng extract and a touch of honey. Arizona hard green tea is the refreshing addition you need in your cooler this summer. Now, do these say. Okay, so it's a malt beverage with natural flavors containing alcohol. Haley thought she couldn't have them, and she's right. Yeah. Usually the malt beverages she can't have, which would be a shame because I think we found with like the monsters that like the malt beverages seem to be able to replicate flavors a little bit better. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, wow. God damn. Oh, wow. I mean, there's like, there's no alcohol in that. I easily could I be could convinced that this was a regular with green, a tea. green
0: tea. This is such an easy five out of five Bell Swan. Yeah. Because what we're doing on this show is seeing if they fulfill the promise of the premise. And
1: this tastes exactly like an Arizona green tea. The notable thing is it's not just green tea. It tastes exactly like the Arizona version. And if you know yeah. about, like, if you if you drink Arizona, you know that their tea is a very distinct taste. That's so effing good. I can't believe it. Wow. Boy, really starting on a high note. That's yeah. great. I, yeah, I'm glad I brought us each individual ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we both <laughs> have three in front of us. And uh, I need to run out to the store and get another well-pack oh, yeah. for tonight. <laughs> All right. But the next one up is the peach iced tea. So this is Arizona hard peach iced tea has fruity peach notes and a sweet aroma, making it the perfect summer refresher. we we'll see about that Right. We are deep
1: into summer at this point. So we'll see. Deep in? We're the second week of June. Yeah, we're pretty deep. It's not even summer. June <laughs> 21st deep. is summer. Yeah, again, that's a banger. That's really good. Arizona is coming out swinging hard it would not shock me if there was like a lawsuit that's like doesn't actually have alcohol in it yeah that's phenomenal yeah that's probably the best peach flavored thing i've had in a long time
0: and we've had a lot of them recently i don't know if there's like a resurgence of peach or whatever but i feel like the last four or five packs all have had it in there this spanks them it's so good
1: i mean it's a perfect peach tea yeah easy bella swan on that too yeah this is definitely a belly swan I'm not getting any nasty aftertaste. No, that's the weirdest so thing. That's the weirdest thing. I get no aftertaste. Like, there's no boozy aftertaste at all.
0: Man, when we go downstairs and tell Haley that she's gonna be so pissed. yeah, she's gonna be fucking pissed. Yeah, <laughs> these are so good. <laughs> all right, man. Well, there's like I said, only three varietals yeah. in this pack. Bring us home with the lemon iced yeah, tea.
1: Yeah, lemon iced tea. So maybe this is supposed to be like kind of the Arnold Palmer because I, I forgot that it's like lemon. You know, and that would be lemonade iced tea. Steep black tea and citrus notes. The iconic Arizona hard lemon iced tea is now available with 5% alcohol kick. The ultimate refreshing bevy. Good to see they used uh, the term bevy in their marketing. <laughs> Love it. Damn. Damn. What a treat. You know what the weird thing too is? I keep smelling them before I taste them. I do smell booze in this one. Yeah. Like I smell booze in the other ones too. And like when you taste it, there's just nothing. Right. The smell is not a five out of five. No. But let me tell you,
0: I think I'm throwing another Bell Swan at yeah, this. Oh this my God. Great. This is really good. So you, you agree? Yeah. Okay. Well, the highly coveted, rarely given out on this show, perfect pack. Fives across the board. That's incredible.
1: I mean, if you wow. like iced tea and you want to get drunk, I mean, you owe it to yourself to get this pack. Yeah. I mean, unless you love the taste of alcohol or something like, mm-hmm. I mean, these are five percenters. So they're not like crazy. Yeah. But, like I guarantee these sneak up on you. It's literally just tea.
0: Yeah. You mean after we crush through 12 of these in the next two hours? Yeah. So,
1: like, just not even thinking about it because on, yeah, they're, so they're so easy delicious. drinking. My God, I drink this outside on a hot day and not get hydrated and be like, what happened? What? <laughs> They just dropped this at the perfect time, too. Boy, these just have summer
0: written all over them. Yeah. I can see myself drinking these up on the roof of my building, drinking these by the pool. I'm having a good time.
1: now. they I, awesome. I, I guarantee they couldn't legally do this because the cans are so similar, mm-hmm. but I wish they sold an Arizona size of these, like as a tall boy. You know what I mean? Like a 24 yeah. ouncer. That'd be nice. sick. Yeah. My God, dude. Yeah. I'm like excited to drink these. Yeah. I don't even know which one I want to drink first i don't either i might just like kind of cycle through them as i you know that's exactly what i think i'm doing i I got them all within
0: arm's reach i'm having a great time over here
1: it's weird because i'm not even usually a green tea person but i've always kind of enjoyed arizona's Mm -hmm. green tea and i really like this they fucking nail it i guess i had this final verdict question
0: would famous personality Ice T be proud of these seltzers? I think Ice T is having the time of his life drinking these.
1: Dude, I think Arnold Palmer would be proud of these seltzers. Absolutely. Like, he should get his name on here. Now, nah, I wish I, I would. I, I hope they do another pack that's yeah. got like sweet tea and Arnold Palmer and like, I don't know, maybe like a raspberry would be a good triple yeah. with that or something. Oh, raspberry tea's a classic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would be a great addition. I, I think to a like, pack. you know. They've done so well with these, I would trust them to do pretty much any of their other flavors and have it slap. I don't know
0: how they did it. Looking on the can here to see if they have like some sort of partnership with somebody else. But I don't see that right off the rip. No, I mean, it's got all the Arizona branding on it. Yeah. What a lovely time. These are delicious. Can't wait to drink all of them. Mm -hmm. And I can see us drinking these all summer long. I think that's going to happen. Yeah. But we got to move on, man. We got more shit to cover today. We do. This episode's going to be kind of a weird one. We are sort of doing a pseudo episode discussion, sort of doing a little pseudo behind the screens, talking about build strategy and stuff for some of these encounters. We're specifically talking about the Nano Opal fight. This is episode 252, Witches Get Stitches. And since the episode will be released as well, we're gonna hit on 253 as well, because 253 basically is the epilogue to 252, where a lot of the stuff that's set up in 252 is resolved and we talk about. So exact same uh, strategy as last episode, Griff. I'm gonna run through the episode synopsis for the first episode. Feel free to hop in whenever you like to talk about stuff, but I do have a couple specific questions at the end about like Nanopa's build and and Mm -hmm. how we did all of this. So just to recap what happened in this one, I do want to skip over the beginning of the episode. This is where the Kendra team is post battle. There's some healing and loot distribution, but they basically just run upstairs to investigate this rumbling that they hear. And we don't know if that's good news or bad news. So. At that point, we cut back to a little while ago in the timeline, which is right when the Nanoopal Opal crew step through the portal. They enter this realm that I mentioned on the episode is similar to like Candyland mm-hmm. and see a bunch of enemies in front of them. We have these two large gingerbread men like creatures. We have Sawyer looking like he's kind of never looked before. A very disgusting visual of him like fully transformed, but like bloody and you said like nano opal petted him and there was like gross stuff on her hand when she did just like a real unpleasant visual and then Nana opal described as a new lich so right off the writ, the battle starts we're hit with inflict pain which is a big debuff basically across the entire party at some point we realize that in sawyer's eye socket is anya's soul gem while Ick advances on some of the melee combatants, Sawyer included, Tulia, and Uska, all essentially backliners, take a step back where we got our backs to a cliff. They fly backwards to get a little bit of space. Tulia is hit with this spell called Death Clutch, dies, heart ripped out of her chest, drops to the ground. Haley's out of the fight for the rest of the episode. Yep. Ick, in a moment of Brooks' brilliance, targets the soul gem, releasing Anya, and that's basically the last thing keeping Sawyer in line, and he turns on Nana Opal. We have Durin killing the gingerbread men basically with splash damage, and is the one that actually lands the finishing bomb on Nana Opal. The very last thing that happens in this episode is Nana Opal. I have in my notes, quote unquote, Obi Wan Kenobi's as her body disappears while all of her gear and robes collapse. But what we find within those robes is a beating black heart. So that is a very quick synopsis of what was a very long episode. (laughs) Pretty long and brutal fight. Yes. So before we start all of this, I think the last time we chatted on Zone of Truth, Griff, you mentioned that you kind of designed this fight to be like a 50-50 TPK, right? Like 50-50% yeah. chance. So how did you get there? Like, what are the components
1: that make this so difficult? Yeah, so Nana Opal is a level 16 witch with the lich template, mm-hmm. which makes her even stronger. And she, she just has a lot of spells that are just like huge debuffs.
0: Mm-hmm
1: that are insta-death. She's got this rod of quick hexes, which lets her hex three times a day as a swift action. She's got really strong saves against her hexes, and she can really, like, kind of force failed saves on a lot of her brutal spells, which is what we saw. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a character that's DC for Death Clutch was in the 30s because she focuses on necromancy spells. Like, that's a level eight spell. So granted, yes, the DC is going to be high, but in the 30s. So I, I imagine there's some sort of like
0: spell or because I, 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 I know I had spell this. On, focus, on my, yeah, yeah, spell focus, spell focus yeah. necromancy
1: in that line of feats. Uh, she's also got a ton of extra hexes and greater spell focus. Mm hmm.
0: Now, how much of all of this, as you're starting to talk about the build, came from Haley? Because I know this was a collaborative effort, even though that the last time that Haley played this character, Mm -hmm. she was much lower level. I think you said that you had her bring her up to the right level, and then you made some tweaks beyond that, right? Yeah, so Haley had leveled Opal to
1: 14, which is where I had her in the neutral interlude Mm -hmm. as a level 14 lich, and then I leveled her to 16 and kind of tweaked her spell list and her item list to more suit how powerful she has become. So a lot of the spells, especially like the seventh level and lower spells are Haley picked spell. Sure. And she's got a ton of stuff like that we didn't even get into like black tentacles and phantasmal killers and just terrible shit. (laughs) (laughs) I think Haley might've put the chain lightning on her too. Classic. Uh, which you know yeah is, is just a great spell so i'd say like a lot of this is haley's doing against herself the eighth level spells are my picks and obviously you know as we'll talk about for the next episode like i picked death clutch for a reason mm-hmm. i also never got to get off the power word stun which would have been bad Oof. she's got destruction which i think i might have been able to use I, i'm trying to remember like everything i used in that fight because it was a lot of rounds
0: yeah i don't remember either if it succeeded
1: i'm sh- whoever got it saves. like nobody took yeah, that much yeah, damage. Somebody, yeah. somebody saved because it would have been like 160 damage mm-hmm. she has split hex a lot of her hexes are adversarial hexes she has like some of those shitty gingerbread witch hexes that she has to have mm-hmm. like child scent and cook people and cauldron and no place like home but she's got the classics like Evil Eye and Flight and Misfortune and Cackle and Agony. Yep. So those were primarily what I was using. Cackle, Misfortune, and Evil Eye. It's tough because it's a she's got a great front line in front of her and she can just kind of unleash these debuffs on you guys and make it impossible for you to hit the front line, which I think we saw in that Inflict Pain Mass, like the minus four to your attack rolls. It didn't really hurt Durin because he's targeting touch but everyone else mm-hmm. you know Igmer could barely land a hit and then you, you guys take like 70 80 damage from the chain lightning it's just you don't have your like Matumbe there that's just negating entire spells right this was a tough
0: one and I telegraphed this very clearly in the episode geez mid mid round one into round two, I was convinced this was a TPK because we made no forward progress yeah, the first round yeah. and we
1: got our shit handed to us. Yeah, you uh, Duran kind of clocked it very early that it's like, oh no, this is like a behind em- enemy lines, like no win situation. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw bombs till I die. Yes,
0: and that's exactly what I was trying to convey yeah. there. <laughs> Which, boy, yeah. So you mentioned that Haley leveled her up to 14. You took her to 16. She has a bunch of cool shit on that sheet. Just from there. You said there's a lynch template on there. Now she was described as a new lich. Does that? It doesn't really do it. Is that just flavor kind of?
1: You know how liches are like the older they are, the more like rotted and got it desiccated. They end up looking until they turn into a demi lich or whatever. Sure. Uh, so she's like, she looks like a newer corpse. Nice. You know what I
0: mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> freshly for male to hide. I can't remember if we've talked on this show about what the lich template does. I don't know if you have that up on the on the sheet. If there's any fun shit
1: that you can talk about. I mean, lich template gets her some good shit, like a fear aura. It gets her natural armor, dark vision, and claws. Uh, she gets a paralyzing touch that does like a certain amount of negative energy damage, and then is a DC. I think hers is a DC 26 fortitude save or be permanently paralyzed. All liches have that like rejuvenation where they come back in a couple days Mm -hmm. as long as their soul cage isn't destroyed. And then she obviously gets undead traits. I think uh, you get like ability score bonuses, pretty decent amount of them, especially to charisma so that you can have like hit points. I mean, she had just (laughs) ungodly stats. Oh, sure. So she has a 20 dex, a 32 intelligence, a 20 wisdom, and a 26 charisma. An 8 strength and no con because she's undead. Mm-hmm. She's a big deal. I mean, the Litz thing is, I think it gives you some some resistances in DR too. Like, she's immune to electricity, immune to sleep, stunning, cold, all that like ability damage shit. She's got DR 15 bludgeoning and magic, which is tough because... Uh, Not a lot of you were hitting her with bludgeoning. Hey, Toomey's not
0: there. Don't have that book that's magical. Exactly. Right. So anything else you wanted to call out about Nana Opal? Because I know we want to talk about Saw and the Gingerbread Men, too.
1: Yeah. No, that's about it. I mean, you kind of get her items in the next episode anyway, so I don't really need to go into detail about them. But yeah, she's just she had a 35 AC after her own buffs and uh respectable for a witch that's not bad yeah, at all right and uh and 225 hit points respectable for a witch yeah. that's not bad at all let, let me see what adjustments i had on her as you guys like entered her realm so she had true seeing she had bark skin she had mage armor shield of faith or sorry shield and defending bone mm. on which is where i think one of her drs comes from yeah the bludgeoning piece yeah so it's just 50 hit points that the bludgeoning soaked up before. But yeah, bad ombre.
0: Yeah, no really? kidding. That's a tough witch to fight. And she was a tough witch to fight. We, yeah. we did it. These creatures fell a little faster than I thought they would. What was going on with the gingerbread
1: man hat here? I think I pretty <laughs> much just like took them off the board from splash damage alone. Yeah, so they were storm giant zombies. They're actually in the back matter of one of the Karen crown books. Yeah. Huh they're only like a CR8 they can hit really hard but like they zombie doesn't add any charisma to you <laughs> and like storm giants have like a negative 2 or negative 4 charisma uh-oh so like their hit points go from like a storm giant hit points which is like in the 200s to like 70 wow uh, <laughs> so it's it's like really bad i even took it a step further and i was kind of like okay these guys are just here for a good time not a long time so the changes I made to that was I didn't make them staggered, but I made them have like essentially like, I think they normally in this state have about a hundred hit points. So I made them have like 70 or 60 or something, mm-hmm. which is why you were able to clear them with like three bombs of splash damage basically. Yeah. And thank God, because yeah. we didn't have any time to, well, they hit, they them. hit yeah. like a truck cause they had, Yeah. so I'd never had them like full attack really, but I just was like, okay, Instead of them being staggered, like they can attack an AOO, but I only gave them the one attack per round because I just kind of figured, okay, if they're staggered and they don't have an AOO, this is like a non-issue and I kind of want them to be like frontline support here. Yeah, it was at least intimidating to have them up in the front. It definitely conveyed
0: a little bit more, I don't know, I was about to say urgency. That's not the right word, but... I was very nervous seeing them up there being big and large and hulking next to And doing to Sawyer, the damage they were doing. Doing you know. the damage they are doing. And Nana was able just to hide between her free, her three frontliners and just destroy us with her brutal spells. I do want to talk about the Sawyer build a little bit. Sure. Because this is going to be relevant going forward as people who have listened to the mainline show know. He does make it through this ordeal. And... So basically what has happened with his character sheet is originally, you know, if we rewind the clock several years when I was building him for the evil interludes, I made him as a moon cursed barbarian. Then bringing him into 100, he has this big backstory thing where him and Anya go down to the shackles and there's a big rebirth thing. And he is rebuilt as a natural were tiger and I changed his archetype from Mooncursed Barbarian to the Armored Hulk Barbarian, which is a barbarian that is tanky in the ways of like all other barbarians. They have a ton of hit points, but they are also focused on armor, so he's pretty hard to hit as well. For this encounter, you had me level him up to 14, which I, I there's a couple things that I want to highlight here because Sawyer really is a fucking animal. So I'm really just gonna talk about when he's raging because if he's not raging, he's not doing his thing. When he's raging, he has 310 hit points, which is a shit ton at this level. And when he's raging, because I took a feat called, I'm pulling it up here, Raging Vitality, which bumps up your con by two when you're raging, which contributes to the hit points, of course. These stats are insane. With the Tiefling plus the Natural wear tiger plus everything that's happened, I have a 35 strength, a 15 dex, a 32 con, but then here we go. 9 intelligence, 14 wisdom, 6 charisma. Very, very heavily spec'd into those two stats, but everything else is kind of lacking. So when he's able to do all his stuff, he has three attacks with his Longsword, which is the Furious Longsword. I bumped that up to a plus three, so when he rages, that becomes a plus five because of the Furious property. He gets the gore attack when he starts to rage from the Fiend Totem Lesser rage power. He's got a bite from being a tiger. and then that's pretty much it, at least for now. There's an item that we want to give him called the brazen hose that will eventually give him a hoof attack as well. So he does a lot of attacks, hits respectively hard for all of them, but also has an insane amount of hit points on top of a low to mid 40s AC with the armored Hulk stuff. So he's very hard to hit. When you do hit him, it takes a lot to take him down and he hits very hard a lot of times. That being said, You have all of those things going for him. There are some other weaknesses on the sheet, like his saves. As
1: you've seen with Saw time and time again, someone bad controls him. Yes. (laughs) That that is what (laughs) happens to a character uh, The the ultimate bane of Saw's existence is he's a very powerful melee character that, I don't know, requires like a middling wizard to dominate him. Right, right. Like, you know, you guys know you're about to go fight a... Probably level 20 plus lizard plus 10 to the will save. Ugh. So yeah, pretty rough saves.
0: But, you know, what he does, he does well. Got DR, energy resistance, all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, just the pounce alone is like that makes the build. Right, because with the pounce, supposing that we get the brazen hooves on him, he's able to charge and do One, two, three, four, five, six attacks at the plus two. And when you're taking that negative two to the AC for the charge, that's not that bad when your AC's in the fucking 40s. Yeah, yeah. So you can definitely soak up that minus two. And I don't know, very, very fun character to play. I'm excited to see if that happens going forward.
1: Yeah, so for this combat, I obviously adjusted Saw a ton. He's more animal than person, so he can't use his sword. He's kind of in this more tiger than wear tiger form, and he also loses the use of his armor. So his AC was actually only a 34, but so you gave me his level 14 stat block. I added the mutant and the broken soul templates on it. I don't know what either of those do. A mutant is an acquired template that can be added to any living corporeal creature. A mutant retains the base creature's statistics and special abilities, except as noted. So it changes you into an aberration, so that's why I said you have to roll Dungeoneering on Saw. Mm -hmm. You get immune to radiation, which doesn't matter here, but you retain like your attacks and your special abilities, which is what I wanted, and you get mutations and deformities, so good things and bad things. And as a mutant... Your mutation was those wings, mm-hmm. you know, I very disgustingly described giving you flight, but you got a poor ability so that gives you a minus four penalty to an ability, which I put in intelligence, uh, bringing your intelligence down to a five. And then you got the fractured mind, which had you had somebody tried to cast a will s- save throw spell on you. If you fail, you become confused for around, uh, anytime you fail against a will saving throw spell. I think this one was really fitting. The broken soul. So, the mutant doesn't add like specific abilities. You could pick them as the, as the, like you could add ability modifiers. But the broken soul is torment and pain made manifest, tortured to the extremes of both physical and mental endurance, and then taken beyond those barriers. A broken soul gains extraordinary reserves of fortitude and resilience, as well as the ability to inflict a measure of its own terrible suffering on others so that gave you a plus six constitution damn so Uh, he was
0: riding a 38 con
1: yeah damn Uh, plus four natural ac so that's how your ac kind of like came back a bit Mm -hmm. and then normally it would give you a wisdom modifier minus two i put that on your intelligence making you animal intelligence like i described at a three intelligence and boy the broken soul is what gave you that like agonizing wail that made everyone shaken, like in a 120 foot radius. It's what gave you that like baleful gaze. The gaze was yeah. awful. Yeah, so the gaze was any creature within 60 feet of a broken soul must succeed a fortitude saver, take 1d4 points of strength, con, and charisma drain. Whatever the result of the saving throw, the creature cannot be affected by the same broken soul's baleful gaze again for one minute. So that was another thing that was just like kind of a manifestation of this pain that saw had been undergoing you know i let you kind of keep the statistics of like a hybrid form werewolf mm-hmm. in the sense that like all your attacks were the same except for you didn't have the shield or the sword and yeah i think that kind of made it like it it was weird I found those two and I felt like you know hey if I take these things away and give these templates which are both like plus one plus two templates it really feels like what has happened to him you know what I mean like I feel like taking away the armor from an armored Hulk barbarian definitely takes their CR down from whatever their level is right Mm -hmm. it's like the kind of the whole shtick but then giving you these other things I think kind of kept Saw it like a CR 14 threat which is kind of where I wanted you because I knew that the party didn't want to kill Saw. Right. So some things like (laughs) having a 38 con, like definitely (laughs) helped with that. Like it would have been a very long fight to take you out and having your will save not really being good. I thought maybe they could get like some sort of dominate off on you Mm -hmm. to kind of try and change it. But I had that (laughs) soul stone in your eye socket thing planned from like when I started thinking about this encounter. And I was like, if someone figures out that all you have to do to release Anya is break the soul stone, then like, even if Saw has animal intelligence, I'm going to let that be what kind of breaks this dependence on Nana Opal Mm -hmm. and lets him turn on her. Yes. Because I kind of wanted that moment to happen, even if he was like reduced to animal intelligence. I kind of wanted there to be like a ability for him not to just be like completely her pawn the entire fight.
0: Mm hmm. And I think that just worked so well cinematically. I really enjoyed the way that it played out. It just felt right for all of the shit that he's gone through and kind of where we've telegraphed that this story is going for him. That like little like pseudo-redemption arc happens. And then we do have like the the you know the moments in the next episode where you have the Sawyer-Ickmer conversation where it's like. Hey, dude! I don't understand like what you didn't understand. Like I told you, stop chasing me because I want to be with Anya, and the only way I can do it is to serve the Whispering Way. So don't come here, or I will kill you. And Ichmer's like, I know that's not good for you, so I'm gonna fix that. And he nails it. Like Brooks, fucking delivered. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I what, was what, like, like, I was very
1: proud of Brooks for yeah. for thinking of the Soulstone thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was like, okay, you've activated, you know, you figured out the release valve of this combat, but that's a very Ickmer thing to figure out. Like, this I think, as, I, I think as we realized, it's like, Ickmer the only one that has both seen a soul gem happen twice and seen someone be broken out of it mm-hmm. in that group. for him to like for him to like waste an entire turn in a combat that was like going to be a TPK yeah like it definitely paid off but it was like I know in that moment Brooks felt like that was a huge risk
0: I think what's important for the character there is that he's seen it happen a couple times but he also has the faith that this is the right thing to do and that like you know, I'm not just going to focus. I, I know how a cell stone works. I'm not just going to focus down. So I know that like he's part of my pack and deep down wants to be part of that pack. So I'm going to, despite the fact that he's told me he does not want to do this. Like, well, it's will, like it's like, like the, look out for his
1: best. Interest. It's like the faith that Imer continues to have where it's like, no matter what, I know you're still in there. Exactly. Yes. So I loved how that that played out. We do have another
0: episode to get to. Yeah. I don't think we're going to spend nearly as long on this one as we did on the last one. This is episode 253. I actually don't think we've named this episode yet because I don't think it's come out as as of this recording. No. But the fights happened. The Demi plane is crumbling. Sawyer is still in that super low intelligence animalistic state. After a little bit of like player debate and trying to figure out if this is the right thing to do, Uska takes the heart that we found in the Obi-Wan Kenobi Nana opal robes. And pushes it into tulia's chest though at the time we don't know what and i I still think we don't really know what this is going to mean for opal so tulia returns but there's this cut scene where lopstock arranges the freedom contract for her and in exchange she gets this half fiend template which i'm sure we'll talk about at some point um but we're actually kind of tight on time right now actually for this episode but tulia returns to the material plane Meets with the rest of the group, now freed, her big story arc with Lobsock seemingly kind of completed. Anya's feeble mind is undone, and then there's this ritual that the team does, this alchemical ritual in the alchemist's lab that we talked about, last Zone of Truth, to reverse Soyuz transformation. He has this touching moment with Anya and Ikmer, but then after that we leave all of our standard party members behind as we cut to Rune, Kiza, and Quinley, who are arriving at uh, this is this comes out of my notes, so you're gonna have to correct me if this is wrong. Corsonora Palace, yes, Corsonora uh, Palace. Okay,
1: <laughs> that was it. Well, that was its name two hundred years ago or whatever. It's uh-huh. it's on Lake Corsonora in Varno, mm-hmm. uh, so That's that's what it used to be called. It has a you know they named it something else now that it's like a haunted house that no one thinks Count Tyriac lives there. Oh, really? They think he's like this aloof count that like doesn't really give a shit Mm -hmm. about like the area and just travels all the time. They think the Tyriac family abandoned this place and just never goes there anymore. And you know, as you guys learn, it's like it's all a facade and it's actually this grand castle, but like he's covered it in illusion to kind of cover for the fact that like he doesn't want to be in the public eye very often. So that they don't realize that he is the same dude from 200 years ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: So he is Rune's grandfather, this we figure out. He pledges to continue curing vampirism with Archminos and help Kiza out, which is very good news for Matume's family. He brings in Rune's dad, which was very fun. And then Rune and Quinley, I can't remember if this actually happens or is talked about happening. Maybe this happens off camera that they're turned into full vampires.
1: They are turned into full vampires. That's how they are able to kind of fast travel with everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. To turn into bats and go as the bat flies straight to Caliphas, where Luverick knows how to like kind of manipulate the witch gates since he was in mm-hmm. the Whispering Tyrant's army for a long time.
0: Yes. And then the outro to this episode is outside Gallowspire, we have these armies assembling. These are vampires, werewolves, blood moon pirates, the Knights of Ozum. You see Larry with the lepidstat boys roll up. And then there's this giant undead dragon, which is menacing all of them, which I'm sure we will see more of very soon. But the big question that I have from this episode is going back to that transformation ritual what was that what, what was going on there so first of all what was the ritual and then i know we succeeded but do you remember how close it was and what happens on a
1: failure i think every check was like a dc 30 mm-hmm. uh, so you guys failed one out of four which was okay you need to succeed half and a failure you just wouldn't have had saw for the rest of the campaign as we kind of alluded to that whole episode he's like falling apart yeah and so you guys would have had to find a means of like constant fast healing which those exist like you could you know get the um there's a couple Ion stones that provide like fast healing one or something like that but you'd have to get something like that on him quickly
0: Um, And at this point in the campaign, it's probably just like, hey man, we got to go fight this giant necromancer. You're just going to have to hang tight till that's done. Right.
1: And so the The war's going down. Yeah. So the issue for saw is that like, you basically lose him. If you don't succeed, if you critically fail, you know, if you fail all four, he just outright dies there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get two out of four, You don't succeed, so you guys needed the three. You need to be above half, because we did four checks. So if you don't get half, then he's still animal intelligence. You haven't hurt him anymore, but he's still in this state of, like, can't really think for himself well, and is still, like, kind of falling apart. So you need to figure out how to stabilize him, essentially, if you want to, like, help him later. And then obviously success is what happened with you guys, where you manage to reverse what's happening and, and stop the constant damage being dealt to him.
0: Did you make this ritual up or did you find something that you kinda like reskinned for this?
1: No, I made it up because I knew it was gonna be you know, you kinda know how rituals are gonna work, and I kinda yeah. I didn't want everyone to have to be like a secondary caster, because this wasn't casting focused at all. But I think between the two groups, I think you were allowed to like aid enough that it was kind of like a ritual. Like you had the, you had Matumbe Duran doing all of the craft alchemy stuff, mm-hmm. but then you had Uska and a bunch of the rest of the group doing all the heal stuff and combined it worked out. But I didn't set the DC higher than 30 cause I kind of thought I was a little worried about what especially the craft alchemy was with the group because I knew Duran was the highest and he's not Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think he breaks 20 with that so it's, it's not a gimme. Yeah so with 8 and whatever I think you failed once with like a 27 mm-hmm. but the rest of the time you succeeded so I kind of like played it out as if you had succeeded the whole time. I'm definitely glad it worked. If he died there
0: I would obviously be heartbroken, but having the like little redemption moment, that would be like an appropriate spot for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Just be like, uh, you know, his love of Anya and all of that. He he broke out and he helped kill Nana Opal and then he didn't quite make it. Right. That sucks, but like that is a, a nice like coda to the story. But to have him keep going is very exciting for me. I'm very
1: happy to have him. No, I, I now, I planned this half fiend thing as of the neutral interlude. Yeah. So that's why I picked Death Clutch.
0: Hold on just one second here because now we're moving to listener questions because our first one is from our very own Chris Kerstorxersen. God, is Death Clutch broken? So, and let's talk about first, why Tulia with Death Clutch and also like
1: what the fuck's going on with this spell? Yeah, so Death Clutch rips your heart out. Uh, It's a save or die spell, and it is a bit broken because the recovery condition of it is that you're like staggered for a round as your heart beats out of your chest, and then if somebody targets you with regeneration to regenerate your heart, then you can be breath of life, but that needs to happen in the next round, and regeneration has a three round casting time, Mm -hmm. so I think there was like an error. It It was admitted that it was an error by the writer of the spell. And then the spell is broken because of it, because the, you know, the intended recovery condition is impossible to do. So the reason I chose Death Clutch is because whether or not it had happened to Tulia, the daemon heart was always meant for Tulia. Sure. That's why it was hers to go get. Mm -hmm. So Lobsock created this daemon heart out of a piece of his own heart and basically let it into the material plane where, you know, it was picked up by Nana Opal, used as a phylactery, etc. In order to test Tulia, he didn't mean for Nana Opal to get it necessarily, but he figured, you know, it'll be like a quest yeah, for her to yeah. get it, you know? But the deal with daemons is they don't really respect mortals at all. They kind of think of them as like cattle And food, and so Lopsock found himself like kind of respecting Tulia, because they had, you know, she had been kind of like one of his gladiatorial champions for like fifty years, while she was in Abaddon, and so he wanted her to become part daemon, so that he would feel good freeing her from this contract, this pact that they have. And so the heart was always meant to replace Tulia's heart just so happened that I could put it together where Nana Opal could rip it out yeah, and kind of speed the process. So putting it back into Tulia, that's why it's like, well, the heart that Nana Opal has looks just like Tulia's heart. Why is that? Well, because Lopsock made it that way. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of fun to have like play out. I knew it would kind of like, it'd be a thing that would happen, but it might not happen for the end you know it, be, it might be a thing that's like in Tulia's epilogue then mm-hmm. if you know she had gotten the heart and hadn't died it's like okay well we'll go deal with the whispering way and then I'll go to Abaddon and talk to Lopsock about you know freeing me. Because going into the Candyland
0: plane, that's what she was saying right where it's like hey I don't know this and she didn't I don't think she knew that she was like looking specifically for no, her heart maybe, no, maybe not, she, but it's just like hey I do need that phylactery I am going to go see Lopsock with it mm-hmm. so like even if she did succeed that was essentially going to happen mm-hmm. it was just that like this worked out really well with the spell and yeah
1: right right so, so that's why i picked death clutch i yeah. guess at the, at the end of the day i picked death clutch and i targeted tulia with it cuz mm-hmm. i was like well you know if she fails then i get to do this cool thing this if she succeeds and we win we'll still kind of have like this back. will happen yeah. eventually anyway but sure so it was cool. It, it really isn't a fair spell, which is kind of why, like, <laughs> hey, you guys have Tulia the next episode, right? Yeah. Like, oh, she, okay, she's not dead for good. We didn't have to spend any resources on it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a very fair spell, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I know others think it is, but some people have, like, different scales of game mm-hmm. that they like to play. For you guys as a party, like, especially with Opal's casting stats like a DC in the 30s save on this spell against the caster is just instant death I mean, I could have killed Ikmar with it. Sure. Like, Ikmar's fortitude isn't high enough to, like, beat a 34. Yeah, if you had four of them, you could probably just
0: make your way around the party with them in right, four rounds. Right. So, all right, well, I did solicit the Discord for a couple questions concerning the wrap-up of the campaign because we are getting there and mm-hmm. we're starting to get to the end of where it would be appropriate for us to answer carrying crown questions. So I got a ton of them from some folks. We're only going to hit a couple and I'd like to hit them quick because I want to make sure we get as many in as we can. We're only going to have a few more episodes of Zone of Truth to really cover this stuff. So from 10 Law Gnome slash Eric, the one that I want to talk about today, although he did offer a whole bunch of questions, is how would you adapt carrying crown to play as the evil cultist? And I have an opinion on this. Sure. I think the sticking point is book four because book four is kind of strange, but effectively there's something that happens before you get to every book in this campaign. Mm -hmm. The Whispering Way makes their way to the prison in book one. The Whispering Way sets up shit with Larry in book two. The Whispering Way is like dealing with werewolves in book three they're always a step ahead of you so you could conceivably have like a hell's vengeance to your hell's rebels that just takes place one month ahead of time for carrying crown where you just play as the bad party and setting shit up for each book and i think that's the cleanest way to do it and then you can chase it down and if you wanted to have the like You know, people talk about their Hell's Rebels party fighting their Hell's Vengeance party. If you wanted to do that at the end of book six, you probably could. I think that's the cleanest way to do it.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's super easy. I I think you could definitely do it because they give you guys don't even know, like, the amount of detail they give on, like, here's all the stuff the Whispering Way did. And here's what they set up. And here's the blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. Like, especially in book two, like, although I love book two as like the trial, like book two for the evil group would be like, how do we frame this creature yeah and then they go up into the schloss and destroy the whole fucking thing capture like the big boss of it would be Karamark. yeah the alchemist and like we gotta catch him and like leave this shit as a trap through the entire campaign there are people
0: that are brainwashed there are good people that have gone missing there there are good guy enemies that are just prime to be the enemies for a evil campaign
1: Right. I even think you could do book four. You would just do it in the circumstance that like you are kind of the dark rider mm-hmm. and you win. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Like, and like these, these things turn on you when you're trying to negotiate them. Cause they're trying to like bring shoving grass into the world. Mm-hmm. You have to fight your way out of this like underground bubble. And you have to like fight your way out of this evil town that like is evil in a different way than you. Yeah. Which would actually be kind of fun because you probably gear all your shit to like fighting good if you're the evil party and then like when you're confronted with like another evil group that's not your evil group like oh that makes for an interesting book of enemies right it, it changes things up for a minute which is nice yeah so yeah eric that's definitely the like this more than a lot of campaigns is like it's very clear what the bad guys are doing in each of the books and it's consistent it is consistently the same person
0: that you're fighting because there are campaigns that are like, oh, though you do have an overarching narrative, like book two, you'll go somewhere else and fight a different group of people and you'll come back with whatever MacGuffin that you need to come back with. And then you do the same thing for book three. Like, no, it is consistently the Whispering Way cult. And that's why I said that, like, book four was the outlier, but with mm-hmm. some slight narrative.
1: Alterations, you can make that work. I honestly, like, it, you're think, just chasing
0: one group. I people. honestly it's think easy. up
1: until book six, it's so easy to do because some of your enemies are the same enemies as the good party. There you go. Like it's so easy to swap out because the encounters mm-hmm. can all be pretty much the same. Cause it's like, okay, these guys ran through here and fucked shit up. Mm-hmm. And now we're running through the fucked up shit. And some of these encounters are still here or like these guys are fucking with the wolves Guess what? All the wolf encounters can be exactly the same. Yep. And instead of fighting Mathis, you fight Valcasain, whose heart they took. Exactly.
0: All right. I want to do one more question before we get out of here. This comes from Art Criminal. At what point did Griff nail down which evil interlude characters would show up in each book? And I think this is a pretty good question because we didn't go into this campaign with the evil interlude characters. Yeah, built. Kinda, like it was I like halfway like through book. You guys, li- half right. You like you had guys, to figure yeah. it out almost on the fly. So like, when did you figure that out? Was it after we wrapped up that initial volley of evil interlude? Um, uh, so after the initial
1: or? one, I had Viv and Saul placed. Sure. So once I got the gist of your characters and Saul was like a were creature, I was like perfect demon wolves done because just because the demon wolves are, and obviously like devil wolves now. We, but, yeah, we reskin them. Right, we reskin them, but they're like a group of lycanthropes that like accept all lycanthropes and don't have to just be wolves. And they are also the group that's most likely to accept like the afflicted lycanthropes, so the ones that have the most problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it made sense that Saul would show up there. For Viv, I was like, Book two is so alchemist heavy. Mm-hmm. And it's so like Frankenstein's monster and mad experiments. I was like, Viv easily slots in here. And then it just kind of played out where like she was able to escape and I wanted to slaughter it a little later. And I was like, Oh, well, this works really well for introducing Brooks, backup character, which I knew ahead of time mm-hmm. I was going to have to do because I knew that Ickmer was going to leave right, when we, right. Like, we talked about it. So I knew Ickmer would leave. So I had like a lot more planning. For a backup character there. So it was really nice to have Viv there. And then after the Nadal piece, I knew where everyone else was going to go. So the Nadal piece is where I got Turner talking with that vampire guy and talking about like the end of the world. Well, wouldn't you want to be able to see it? You could become a vampire and then, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd be able to see the end of the world unfold as Grotus wants you to, which led him down the path of vampirism which is why I wanted him to be the infiltrator in book five. And Opal always had this like, oh, I, w- I want to marry the whispering tyrant. Like, mm-hmm. So I was like, I think that's a book six thing. Yeah. I think she should be involved with like bringing him back, uh, which is obviously the book six piece.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's thematically appropriate too, because like Saw has a point of view that is not necessarily defined by the whispering way like he just is like in pain and like (laughs) wants to do shit and like however he stops that is that and like the same thing with turner like wants to see the end of the world like is a grotus follower probably at the end of the day doesn't care that much about the whispering way or tarbafon same thing with viv like She's an evil person, but is like enthralled with Zan eventually through the Nidal arc and has like just like a scientific discovery thing. But like always with Haley's Nana Opal, it's like she has this fascination with the Whispering Tyrant specifically and is very in line with the cult itself. So it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense to be a big finale book six. Mm-hmm.
1: Villain. I just think that that fits really well for that character. Exactly, and I think compared like, to the others, yeah, you know, we really cemented them with Vyre, mm-hmm. like especially like Vire being a callback to like what happened with like Vivensaw, saw, which put them in the places that they were at, and like being a call forward to where o- like Opal is the only one that knows the real identity of this like overarching, whispering way leader, Mm -hmm. it just made sense to put people where they were after that. But I think by the Nadal arc, I had placed everyone. And honestly, by the early one, I placed the first two. I kind of knew, just like we had with your original characters, where it was like, oh, Matume's book is book five. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, Ikmer's book is book three. I wanted the same thing to be applicable with the evil interlude characters.
0: Yeah, I think it works. I think it really milestones it. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up the questions that we wanted to get through today. So really just a little bit of housekeeping that we want to do. So very exciting. We have announced our meetup for Origins. That is going to be Saturday, June 24th. Our meetup is going to start at 7 p.m. at the Wolf's Ridge Tap Room. That's not like the Wolf's Ridge Dining Room. That's the tap room. It's around back, folks. Yeah where you expect to find us and then eventually I'm sure it's going to get a little too rowdy so we're having our after party for the meetup at Pins Mechanical downtown at 10pm it's like two blocks away from Wolf's or whatever so yep, we're just going to walk, walk over as a group so meet us up there because it's going to be a lot of fun we have done a meetup with this exact strategy before of Wolf's Ridge going to Pins mechanical, and it's a good time. You're not gonna wanna miss it if you're in town.
1: We'll be done recording Carrying Crown at that point. Don't buy us too many drinks if you don't wanna get spoiled.
0: Yes, don't ask for spoilers because we will be susceptible at that point. (laughs) We'll be susceptible. Stage five susceptibles at that point. Absolutely. And then the very final thing that I want to plug is that we are going to have a post finale Twitch charity stream for the HLP Carrying Crown finale on the 15th, so that is the Saturday immediately after the final episode drops. The charity is two to be determined. I think the actual time we're going live is two to be determined as well, but I'm very excited. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, we'll think about the charity, and we'll think about how your donations get you something within the stream and also benefit the charity. Maybe they'll get your questions priority or that kind of thing. Yeah. We'll see. Or maybe we'll offer prizes or something during that. We haven't really... We're, we're, try, we're really trying to get through the actual recording of this shit before we figure that out. So, Wish us luck. I guess by the time this comes out, you can... When does this come out? Next Monday? Yeah. Yeah, you can uh, You can congratulate us on being done. Yeah. It'll be kind of nice to be done. It's yeah. last week's has been kind of stressful. A little stressful, yeah. yeah. But, all right. Well, I think that
0: does it for this episode. Y'all survived the zone of truth. You succeeded your will save. And I think, Griff, I need to know... Got anything you want to say to the people at home?
1: Uh, Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks.
0: Later.